Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Hi, it's Brett Phillips here, host of The First Serve, and thank you for downloading the latest edition of In The Huddle, one of our podcast offerings here at The First Serve. You can get your weekly live tennis fix with our show every Monday night on the SCN Radio Network at 7pm Eastern. All the broadcast details of where you can listen can be found at thefirstserve.com.au. In the Huddle was created to give student athletes, parents and coaches an inside look at the journey through US college sport and all that comes with it. The demands, the experiences, the excitement and the opportunities available to our student athletes from around the world. Study and Play USA facilitates a comprehensive, customised approach for student athletes and families for their whole journey from their high school preparation years right through to US college graduation. Welcome to this episode of In the Huddle. Uh, today we've got a few of us here on our team to discuss uh, the different divisions of competition in the US. We've got Ellen with us and Alexia and myself, Chris. Uh, look, with 1,500 universities that offer collegiate sports, you know, they, they've got to be divided into separate competitions and then that's why we have this need for these divisions. But there's not a lot of information out there about divisions unless you dig really deep or unless you're going through the process yourself. So before we talk about each of the divisions of competition in the US, uh, we'd like to just probably just start by uh, busting a few myths. So first and foremost, when we hear the word division, we imply or we, it implies that there's a bit of a vertical hierarchy. So division one might automatically better, be better than division two, which is better than division three. This is not the case necessarily. Uh, we'd like, most people to look at it more of a horizontal hierarchy. Each division is um, separate to others and have different um, uh, characteristics. So look, each, another little myth, and people just may not know this, that, that every university athletics department will choose which division best suits their university to compete in. So it's not a matter of performance-based where you get allocated into a certain division. Um, it is more about a choice that best suits that university uh, because each division does have different characteristics. Each of these divisions are governed by different rules surrounding scholarship, recruiting, how many sports they're permitted to offer uh, as a minimum and the level of intensity of competition. And there's, there's a few other factors as well. So it's not based on the standard of academics as some people may think. Uh, and it's not simply you know, based on the standard of athletics either quite complex. Um, so I'm going to introduce Alexia um, just to talk a little bit about the most recognised entity uh, that, that some people in this college space have heard of uh, called the NCAA. Thanks, Chris. Well, the, the NCAA, it stands for the National Collegiate Athletics Association, um, and it is a $60 billion entity. You know, that's right, a billion. <laughs> so it is... Um, 
a huge organization, bigger than FIFA. Um, and within it, it has three divisions. Um, and the role of the NCAA itself is to primarily maintain the amateurism of the sport. So what they want to ensure is that someone hasn't, you know, if there's a golfer, they haven't been out on the tour for 18 months after high school and then come back, um, start first year as a freshman. So they want to make sure that, you know, everyone's entering across the world on the most level playing field. Um, the scholarship, um, they, they allocate scholarship across 25 different sports each year. And they also have, as well as the amateurism of the sport, they have their own set of academic um, requirements for each athlete who wishes to participate. And this is really to make sure that they're not setting the, the student athlete up for failure, that there's minimum um, requirements that they need to make across, you know, GPA, SAT requirements. And each division has different has different levels of this. That's exactly right. So look, as Alexia said, there's three divisions. I'm going to talk about division one. Um, that was my experience as a student athlete many, many years ago. Now I went to Oklahoma State University in the middle of America uh, and played my tennis there. So I know quite a little bit about what it's like to be a student athlete in division one. Uh, but I've learned more about Division One, perhaps, in this role um, since finishing college. But there is an assumption out there that it is the best division, again, because of it being Division One. And in many cases, in certain sports, at the very top end, it is the best. And it, it, it does uh, attract the best athletes in the world in, in, in a lot of cases. But it doesn't assume um, that every university in Division One is better than every university in division two or division three or all the other divisions for that matter. So that's, that's an assumption uh, that is best not to make uh, when thinking about division one. Uh, just a few characteristics of division one, which separate them from others. They do receive more athletic scholarship from the NCAA each year. So each coach will be given X amount of scholarship in their respective sports uh, to then allocate to their athletes. Uh, and they're renewable each year, depending on performance and academic performance, et cetera. Uh, they also need to tick a lot of boxes in order to be a, a division one university. They, they have to uh, meet a lot of requirements from the NCAA. A lot of it revolves around um, money and, and also having the capacity to service more sports across men's and women's sports than, than the other divisions. Uh, and not every university wants to do that. Uh, or has the size of campus to do that. So they opt to be different divisions, even though they may very well be just as good uh, on the field or in the swimming pool or, or in, in whatever the sport may be. Uh, so from a student athlete perspective, there's a lot of things you need to be aware of in order to be eligible for division one NCAA. Registering with the NCAA is a simple process, but it's best to receive expert advice on how to finalize that eligibility and avoid being stranded in the US, you know, like we see with some student athletes that they, they, they're over there, they've got their scholarship, but they actually haven't been cleared by the NCA because they've ticked a wrong box uh, in the eligibility process. And that's um, obviously worst nightmare for some parents. So look, our advice for anyone looking at division one, there are things you need to know about subject selection in school, uh, how to best maximize those uh, results in school um, what you need to be doing as an athlete. Um, but look, my advice or our advice would be not to wait until year 11 and 12, ideally to find out about this. Eligibility is a bit of a 
minefield. Um, and look, we can offer you some free advice uh, as part of an assessment of your sporting level and your academic level. Uh, but certainly, um, the the experience in Division One was was amazing. I did travel to, you know, I think around about thirty universities, um, sorry, thirty states in America, sorry, uh, as an athlete, and and part of that was because of the generous budget that was afforded us in Division One at my particular university. Um, look, moving on to Division Two, uh, we've got Ellen here who is best suited to talk to to. Division two because she she was a national champion or a two-time national champion golfer uh, in Division two. So I'll uh, hand it over to you, Ellen, to have a little bit of a chat about uh, their characteristics. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, as Chris was saying, um, I went to Lynn University uh, in Bercotone, uh, which is in South Florida, uh, and that was a Division two um, university. Uh, so when I started the recruiting process, um, over 10 years ago now, um, I, I went into it very uninformed and, and very, uh, I was very naive at the time. Um, I didn't really know the difference between each of the divisions and what they offered. Um, I just went in with the mindset that, you know, if I was going to go to college, it had to be Division One. Uh, for, you know, some of the, the reasons, the myths that Alexia mentioned. And, um, you know, I soon learned throughout, as I got into the recruiting process that, um, you know, that was the information and, and the mindset that I had was uh, was not a good one. Um, I narrowed my options down after talking to different coaches and different programs to, you know, let's say a, a list of 10 um, programs that I'd done research on, felt like could be a good fit for me. Um, nine of those were Division One universities um, and one of those is Division Two, and that was Lynn University where I ended up going um, and I just felt that, um, you know, having spoken to all of the coaches, um, done a lot of research that that was ultimately the best fit for me. And as much as I wanted to kind of, was looking for ways almost to, to kick it off, off my list, um, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't um, fault it in any way. Um, so in terms of what sets Division 2 apart from um, Division 1, for example, uh, is it the way that they offer scholarships? So um, the NCAA does not award coaches in Division Two as much scholarship money as in Division One. However, at Division Two, um, this is offset by academic scholarship. So in most cases, if you're granted admission into a Division Two university, you're automatically going to qualify for some kind of academic scholarship. Um, it's not it's not whether you're qualified, it's just um, comes down to how much. Um, so it's still very much possible to get full scholarships at Division Two, and that, that could still, you know, come entirely from the coach and the athletic department's budget, uh, which was the case for me. Um, however, in most cases, um, scholarships that you'll receive at a Division Two university uh, are going to be a combination of both athletic and um, academic scholarship money. And so when I think back on my experience, um, I think, you know, the university I chose was definitely the, the best fit for me for a number of reasons. Um, throughout the recruiting process, I built the strongest rapport and the connection um, with the coach um, of Lynn University compared to the other programs. Um, I also felt that Lynn University was a very, very top, 
top ranked program in Division Two for golf. And looking at the history and the scores um, that the team would shoot, uh, in, in most cases, was just as good as some of the best ranked Division One programs. So I knew I was still going to get a really, uh, really great um, experience from the athletic side. Um, one of the, the main attractions for me um, for this particular university compared to the Division One universities I was considering uh, was, was the population size. So at the time, I think Lynn University was roughly around 3,000 students. And I felt like an environment like that uh, was just much better suited to me personally. My personality, I felt like um, that kind of environment I would just thrive a lot better in. Um, I'd not spent a lot of time overseas or I had not traveled a lot um, before then. So I just felt more comfortable going into that kind of environment. Um, I had a very, very well-rounded experience. Um, I was supported and encouraged, obviously from the sports side, but also from the academic side, community service side of things. So I just, yeah, felt like I had a very, very well-balanced, well-rounded experience. Um, and and just had a lot of opportunities personally to exceed, excel, um, that I don't know that I would have had going to a much larger university. Um, that That's not to say that it's not impossible to thrive at a, at a, at a big big college. Um, but I think yeah, going to going to a smaller college um, and, you know, across the board, Division Two universities do tend to be a, li a little bit smaller um, than some of the big colleges in Division One, um, and and that just brings yeah a unique experience that I felt best suited me. That's really good to hear, Ellen. Some good points there. We do hear that a fair bit from our Division Two uh, athletes that uh, they were attracted to it for for those reasons that it's a little bit smaller. But I think important to note there was that you know one of the biggest uh, take so that I took from that um, was that you know it, it didn't hold you back as a golfer uh, or or as a student or as a person. Um, you know, if I look my university in Division One by comparison, twenty five thousand students that didn't bother me at all. That said, I would have really enjoyed being a smaller program as well. So it's each to their own, um, but it's just good to know the differences, and um, it depends what you want. You know, so. Lynn University is not going to be like all the other uh, D2s. My university is not going to be like all the other Division 1s. So it can be quite different even within each division. But just quickly, before we move on to Division 3, um, from a golf perspective, I know I mean, you played on some amazing courses, right? I did. Um, yeah, being in Florida, we had access to a lot of the, the best championship courses down there. Um, I played... A tournament every year at TPC Sawgrass with the, the famous Island Green um, where they hold the Players Championship. Um, one of my favourite courses to travel to and play at was Keor Island uh, which has hosted a number of um, US Opens in the past, US PGA um, tournaments. Um, yeah, got to travel all around the country, you know, I wasn't just limited to Florida, played some great desert courses out in, um, in and around Vegas. Um, but yeah, I just, from a, from a whole package standpoint, um, I just felt, yeah, going to Florida, um, playing golf in Florida, there really isn't, isn't many better places to play golf in the world. So 
You're making me wish I played golf while saying all that. Um, look, moving on to Division 3, uh, Alexia, we might just have a chat about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Division 3 is still part of the NCAA, um, has fewer rules than, say, D1 or D2. Um, and, you know, Division 3 is, is ideal for athletes who, who love their sport may not be making those top teams, but still want to keep playing and have that college experience. Um, in saying that, it's not to rule out, you know, very strong athletes who are proactively going to D3 um, to then go on and become professionals in their sport. But um, it is fair to say that D3 is designed for an athlete who is, you know, very invested in his or her academics. Um, you know, they, order, you know, don't have athletic scholarship or athletic funding from the NCAA. So to make up for that, you know, they give quite large academic scholarships. However, where, you know, D3, you know, where I see D3 being a very good option is for a student athlete who you know, is a really good student, therefore can command enough scholarship to make it, you know, a viable option. Um, or sometimes a family that might have a, a larger than average budget you know, to be able to go there to get the whole college experience. Um, so they, they do train slightly less every week than, than the other divisions. Um, and, you know, they compete slightly less, um, but it's still a very, you know, holistic experience with, you know, um, great athletic programs and very, very fine academic institutions. And, and what a lot of people don't realize, you think of, of schools such as NYU or MIT, and they are both D3 colleges, you know, so we're talking some very fine institutions, um, but just have chosen to be a D3 college from an athletic point of view. I think just on that note, it's um, probably brought up another podcast topic that we can talk <laughs> down the track, but I'd like to probably have a, an Ivy League chat at some point too, just to explain how scholarships work there. That They have the uh, unique um, situation in, in Ivy Leagues where they their scholarships and are allocated uh, like Division 3, but they actually compete in Division 1 uh, from an athletic point of view. So they're the only league or conference that does that so that's worth noting and something we can talk about down the track but um important information now so that's the ncaa there's division one division two division three which you've just heard about now there are two other entities and there's actually there's a few more actually but the two main entities that offer college sports uh, we want to talk to you about is naia and then of course junior college some of you may or may not have heard of these but there's lots of acronyms we're throwing at you today um, when we're discussing college sports. Um, but I'll, I'll hand it over to Ellen again, just to run through NAIA, what it stands for and, and some of their characteristics as well. Yes, yeah, so the NAIA uh, stands for the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics. And it's a separate association or separate entity altogether from the NCAA. Uh, there's roughly around 250 universities um, that are part of the NAIA association. So uh, it's a, a little bit smaller in size um, compared to the, the NCAA. Um, uh, something else, I guess, to note is that um, most NAIA universities um, also tend to be 
to have a smaller um, student population um, can sometimes uh, be located in smaller towns. Um, but I guess one of the, the advantages to NAIA, particularly uh, when it comes to the eligibility process, is that the, the eligibility requirements are, are far less stringent than the NCAA. So the 16 core course um, academic requirement um, that you will have heard um, about uh, as re required by the NCAA, that, that doesn't apply. That's, that's not a requirement for the NAIA. Um, so the eligibility process um, is, is much more simpler. Um, similar to Division II, um, NAIA scholarships are offered usually as a combination of academic and athletic scholarships. Um, they're competing within their own association in most cases. So um, they'll compete mainly against NAIA colleges. Um, however, it's not uncommon, and it was certainly the case in my experience where NAIA IA colleges um, compete in NCAA tournaments um, in all divisions, really division three, division two and division one. So, so from an academic um, side of things, uh, the value and standard really of, of the academic programs and degrees offered by NAIA colleges are really no different to any other four year college in the US. Um, we actually find for a lot of our student athletes, um, NAIA is actually yeah, quite a popular division um, that, that, yeah, a lot of our students find um, to be a really good fit for them. Thanks, and I think a really important point there, Ellen, you, you mentioned it's a bit smaller population, smaller unis, a little bit of a similar feel to some division twos. Um, I think for people listening, most of America is small towns and most universities are based somewhere around them. A lot of the big universities, yes, in bigger cities, but I'd say 80% of universities in America are actually small, around smaller towns. So, yeah. um, you know, for those wanting that big college experience, it is, it's not like every college is in that, in that space. It's not all like what you see on the movies. Mm. Uh, so junior colleges uh, is the other division I think is really important for people to know about. Off the, off the top, junior college sounds horrible. It sounds maybe inferior in some way, or maybe, you know, for younger people, you know, the word junior um, is probably not the best word to describe it. But why they do call it junior college is that it, it really pertains to your first two years of college. These are two-year universities, junior colleges. And when you finish, you're going to start your junior year, okay, which is your third year in college. So that's why they're called junior colleges. Uh, they're also known as JUCOs or uh, community colleges. Again, not another, not a word that's great, but um, but the actual value of a two-year program uh, to a lot of people is, is very high. So they compete in the NJCAA, just another acronym for you. That's National Junior College Athletics Association. Uh, there's hundreds of them. Uh, and again, like all other divisions, there are some extremely good ones and they're the one, they're, there are programs that aren't, appropriate for everyone. Um, but if you can get a good junior college, it's suitable. It's, it's an extremely good pathway for a lot of people. You can get full scholarships there like, like other divisions as well. Um, you get free tutoring uh, and there's reasons why you'll get that um, more so at, at junior college. But the idea of junior college is that it's a two years at junior college. You're buying yourself two years um, as a student to improve um, your, your grades from high school or to bump those up and, and to improve 
as an athlete really so that you can be recruited into a four-year college at the end of those two years so an important thing to know is that you're not going to junior college for two years and then doing another four years at a four-year college it's two years at junior college then you'll finish your final two years of eligibility at a four-year college so it's still a four-year overall experience uh, the idea is that you're going to come out as a better student um, you know and a better athlete with the idea of going to a better four-year college than what you would have been offered had you gone straight to a four-year college out of high school so the idea is as i said before you are trying to buy yourself some time um, so great option for some people for the right reasons but here are the, the three main reasons why families might choose a JUCO or a junior college. There's an academic reason. Um, sometimes you, you have to go to junior college. That's why it was originally created for people who didn't quite qualify for four year programs uh, academically. They may have done poorly on the entrance exam. They may not have taken the right subjects in school. Just may not have got the best grades throughout their year, year nine to 12 uh, schooling. So they, they have to go to junior college and almost prove to the NCAA or the NAI that they are, um, you know, of a good enough academic standard to compete in that competition. And there's an athletic reason. Some people, although being very, very high achieving students, still proactively go to junior college for athletic reasons where they want to buy themselves more time as an athlete. They might not felt like they've got the best level. They might not feel like they got the best four year scholarships. Um, because they didn't have enough time through high school to, to showcase their ability. Okay, go to junior college, improve yourself over two years as, a, as, a, as an athlete. But hopefully those big four-year college programs come knocking and recruit you from junior college. And that's what it's designed to do. Then the third reason why families choose junior colleges are financial. It, they, they tend to be about the third of the price of all other four-year colleges on average. Um, that, that's even before scholarship. So it, um, most people are quite blown away as to how inexpensive a junior college option can be. So that's, uh, that's a little bit of an idea of, of the, the divisions. There is a separate junior college division in California that, that has their own, but that's because it's California and they like to do those things. Um, but in the NJCAA operates everywhere east of California. Well, it's, I, I guess in, in wrapping up the podcast today, it's just so important to be informed, you know, and we have kept this brief, you know, this could have been something that we could have had a two hour podcast, but nobody wants that. So, um, you know, it's really important to be informed and it's important to realize that no two student athletes are the same. And, every single student athlete and their family has a different set of variables that need to be met to equal their right fit. And division is a part of that. It's a big part of it. And there's lots of other variables, but I guess to reiterate division one NCAA, I think we've learned today is not necessarily the best and is not everyone's right fit. Um, and you know, I think back to trips, you know, visiting colleges throughout America and, you know, particularly in, particularly in that D2, D3 space where coach is saying to us is the biggest hurdle they have with internationals is understanding the difference in divisions. You know, particularly here in Australia, when we think about divisions, you know, one is always better than two and two is always better than three. Um, 
so it's important to, to understand that that's not necessarily the case in America. And, um, you know, there, there will be inappropriate colleges for each student athlete in every division. That's why in our um, experience, it's best to be open when it comes to divisions and be more keen on finding your right fit, regardless of where that is. So in what we call family meetings, where we sit down with, you know, eager young student athletes, you know, early in their high school years, we go through these points discussed today in, you know, a lot more detail than now, you know, to be able to give a really realistic indication of the types of divisions that might best suit, um, you know, that student athlete and, and the necessary academic and athletic markers that they need to be reaching, um, to be able to to maximize their opportunities. Um, we also discussed, you know, the realistic costs to your family uh, versus the scholarship that they could get so that families can help plan and budget for this pathway. So, um, you know, if there's something that you, you know, would like to learn more about, we encourage you to reach out to us, um, you know, via you know, via our website, you know, at studyandplayusa.com.au, um, you know, obviously our social media platforms in, in Facebook and, and Instagram, but, you know, there are so many colleges available in the USA and there really is a college for almost all levels of, you know, athletics, of, of academics and, you know, family budgets. And we are, um, we are just so pro education. So just to learn about this pathway, um, so that you can make a really informed decision as a family if this is the right thing for you. So, um, you know, hope hope you've learned a lot from today's podcast. And, um, you know, if there's any more information that you would like, please feel encouraged just to reach out to us. Thanks, guys. Subscribe to the First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of In the Huddle, produced by Study and Play USA, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7 p.m. Eastern, Aussies only, and crunching the numbers. Subscribe to the First Serve, your home of tennis. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.